Welcome to Talking Book Publishing. Hello, and welcome to Talking Book Publishing. I'm Kathleen Kaiser, your co-host, along with Adana Moriarty. And today we have Sheila Lowe, who is here. Um, she has a new memoir out, but she's more, probably you know her as a mystery writer. And she has been doing that for quite some time. And she's going to be talking to us about her career through being published by major of the big five publishers and what she's doing now. So welcome, Sheila. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Um, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on your publishing adventure, starting with your first book that got published and who it was with and how it's evolved to where you are now. My Torturous Path to Publication. I actually have a lecture of that title. Um, actually, the first book was really easy to get published. I had an agent uh, who had been referred to me by somebody else, and she got me to go to Chicago with her to the big book show. And actually, she wanted me to do handwriting analysis, which is my main career, to get people over to her booth. And she didn't ever do anything for me, and I ended up dropping her. But because I was in Chicago, I got a contact that led me to uh, an acquisitions editor at Macmillan. And he was looking for a book on handwriting analysis. So I put together a proposal and sent it. And then I found out it was the Complete Idiot's Guide series. And I kind of had some qualms about that because, you know, just the title. Some people really kind of hassled me about it. But then I thought, who else is offering me a $10,000 advance to write 352 pages because they had a very... Uh, you know, a, a format that you had to follow. And I could write anything I wanted. They paid $500 to one of my colleagues that I referred them to, to write the foreword. And then they paid $500 to another colleague to fact check and make sure everything was right. So they were really serious about it. And then they told me I had 12 weeks to write it. So, so I, I like to say it took me 35 years to write it because I collected all the stuff, you know. And so that it went really well. And at the end, when I turned it in, of course, they call it an advance, but I didn't actually get the money until after they got the book. And they, they liked the book so much, they wanted me to write some more stuff about um, uh, compatibility and criminal behavior seen in handwriting. And so when I got the check, it was actually 16,000. And I thought they must have made a mistake, not realizing that I've done more work, so I get more money. So that went really well. And that was their top seller for quite a, a long time. The next year, I got a request from a book packager to write a book for Barnes and Noble called Handwriting of the Famous and Infamous. So this, you know, my entry into publishing was really quick and easy. And I did a book tour and all over the country and I'm at my own expense, of course, but um, that was pretty good. But what I really wanted was to write a mystery and have a mystery published. So that took another seven years. I had the book um, ready. It was poison pen because, you know, 
in my career as a handwriting analyst. If you write what you know, it's going to be a handwriting. And so I use those puns in the in the titles of the books, Poison Pen, Written in Blood, Dead Right, and so on. But it it took seven years, which, you know, we can branch off and talk about that. But um, I, I had won a, a competition with this book in 2000. But when the, the, one of the editors who was at Penguin took it to his committee, they said, we like the story and the writing is good, but it's not strong enough. And cutting to the chase, what that really meant was there were too many adverbs. And looking at it now, I know that it really wasn't ready to go out at all. But eventually a small publisher picked it up and they sent it out for review and it got a starred review in Publishers Weekly and they called it a dynamite debut. And so Penguin ended up buying the first four books. After that, wow. yeah, I mean, do you want, shall I, shall I continue or you have something no, to no, say? No, go ahead. That's really great. You got four books out of it. That's fabulous. Yes, I got the first two with that because of that publisher, they bought them from that publisher, the, the small one. And then the next two they wanted. And I thought, well, you know, I've got two books out now, um, fiction. So maybe I could get more money. So I got an agent. I'd had several agents that didn't do anything for me. But I got an agent and she had sold the book, The Godfather, from book to movie. So I figured... You know, she's really good. She had a great reputation. But they basically said, we're penguin bug out of here. You know, we'll give you a thousand dollars more. That's it. Nothing else. So she got that extra thousand and I got a, another two book deal. But it, as I was writing the fourth book in the series, my wonderful editor left and she came out to California to get married. So the new editor who came in wasn't interested in my series and didn't give me another contract. So the agent that I had in next after that said, well, no big publisher is going to give you a contract. They're not going to pick up a series in the middle. So I wrote a standalone called What She Saw about a young woman who wakes up on a train with amnesia, one of my favorite books. And, um, she sat on there. There was from a very good agency too. This was a different agent. And um, she just sat on it for nine months. And I finally said, I'll take it back and I'll publish it myself. So I did that. It was extremely successful. And um, then I found out that Suspense Publishing, was a, they published Suspense Magazine and they're local here in Southern California. They were going into the book publishing business and they liked my books so we got my rights back from penguin and they published those books they re rebranded them and then i wrote more books with them and then last year was it last year no i think it was the year before i don't even know at this point i looked at my sales you know in the middle of covid because they all got covid and couldn't really do a whole this small small company so I looked at my sales and I said, you know, at my age, I, I don't have as, all those years that I've had now. I don't have as much time in the future. So I really would like to take charge 
of my own publishing um, career. And so I got my rights back from suspense. And since then I have rebranded again and published all of my own books and, and two, two new ones since then, or maybe three. I'm not even sure. Now, how do you go about your rebranding? Um, new covers, new blurbs. And one thing I found out that was very important, last year I hired an expensive consultant to see what I could do to uh, make my books sell better. And she said, she, I mean, she did a, a free consultation before I hired her. She was great. And she looked at the covers of, uh, I, I don't want to get too complicated. When, when I first took my rights back, somebody was helping me and we got new covers because her mother was a graphic designer and wanted to do book covers. And some of them I liked a lot and some of them I really didn't like, but it was a matter of, well, you know, this is it. If you don't like it, too bad. And so I paid her like $1,000 for eight covers. So I used them. So now we come a, a year later and this consultant looked at them and she said, the problem is, a problem is that your books don't look like a series. The, the covers are all very different. So we need to recover them and make them look like a series which was another very expensive deal because I used somebody she recommended who was terrific, but that was another $5,000. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, that was how, and, and oh, she did, she did a plus content for me in Amazon for that one series. And they rewrote my blurbs. And now I've hired someone to do advertising for me. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. <laughs> but when you were uh, working on the, I, well, excuse me, the importance of covers is something I think a lot of writers overlook. Because nowadays with so much done online, you're looking at a little two by three image at the most. And people look at it first before they read. Yes. It's about. And covers are, have, I think, gained even more importance than when they were in a bookstore to grab your attention. Yeah, that's probably true. And covers are a real specialty. So even if you're really good with graphics and all, don't do it yourself. You, it takes certain training. Like, for instance, um, the book that, that I just released, which is my memoir, I was lucky enough to get a, an award-winning cover designer, and he made this this cover for me, which I think is wonderful, and people really seem to like. He made this phoenix. Um, and the last one I did, I didn't use the, it was for my other series, my Beyond the Veil Paranormal Suspense series. Um, I didn't use the same cover designer that did my Claudia Rose ones, but I, I found someone on Fiverr who was, um, you know, more reasonable. And so he did, I think he did a very nice job on this one. So, and I don't have the other ones with me. Um, it covers really, I mean, you really, you know, that whole thing about you can't tell a book by its cover, but covers are something that are, are going to affect whether a reader buys your book or not. 
I have a question in this process of kind of republishing, you know, multiple times. Do you have to go in and change like the actual writing in the book as a re-release? Like, I mean, do you have to make changes to that? Because since it was, you know, published by like Penguin and then somebody else, and then you did it again. I mean, do you, do you have to change them or you just change the not cover? If, not if you got your rights back. Now, okay. in in um, getting rights back, like you do need a different cover unless you want to pay the previous publisher for your cover. They're going to charge you for it. But I decided I wanted new covers. Um, and I did rewrite all of my books <laughs> in, in about two months. And that was a tour de force. But I did that because I feel like I I know a lot more. I'm a better writer now than I was when they were first published. And I found that that has helped because most recently, I just, again, I'm actually Poison Pen, the first book in the forensic series I have written a <laughs> hundred times republished. But um, I in the advertising, the person who is advertising for me puts like a big chunk of the first chapter in the ad, in the Facebook ad. And when I rewrote the first chapter, especially, the, uh, there was a 5% bump in sales right away. So people are reading that new first chapter and it, it really worked. So I've, and I've done that with several of my other books, not all of them. I mean, I've done, a, I've done an edit on all of them, but a, not a major rewrite like that. So how many total books have you sold? Well, according to Amazon and my records, it's around 400,000. Mm -hmm. Over how long? Um, my first book came out in 2000. So it's, you know, 23 years. And I now have 18 books. How do your books do an ebook? Um, well, they, that's where they're selling the most at the moment. But they do, I mean, the the nonfiction books, which are all about handwriting, besides my memoir, um, they do better in print because people want to, you know, I mean, you can see the, you can see the handwriting samples and they have a lot of famous people's writings, but it's easier to see them in print. And some people just prefer that as a textbook. And, and they're also all in audio. But your mystery, your mysteries do better in ebook format. Yeah, which I think is like the top selling. It's e it's mystery and and romance, romance in like ebook anyway. So I mean that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and of course the audio books are growing. So I, yeah, so, yeah. I think it was last year that audio books they didn't sell as many copies, but they grossed more money than ebooks. Wow. First time. Yes. I, wow. I, I read that a couple of months ago and it was like, well, that's an interesting thing. And their debt ebooks are leveling off a little bit or the audiobooks are really rising because it's more people can use it in more places. They can be <laughs> jogging, they can be driving, they can be doing more things where they can't sit and read. Yeah. Now we don't have the the CDs that you, or, or tape. It's easy. You can just yeah just the download and the um, my memoir just came out in audiobook 
So I'm gonna wait and see how that does. Now, did you self-publish the memoir? Yes. <clears throat> and that was one I un unbelievably, I mean, I, it takes me nine months to a year to write a novel. And it took me 27 days to write my memoir. It was about oh. 5,000 words. <laughs> After putting it off for 23 years. <laughs> it was in there ready to come out. Apparently so. <laughs> and then I took the next month to edit it, get it ready, and then put it out there. So what would you say to people that are looking at publishing maybe just one or two books? And what can they what can they expect on average? Because you've got a lot of books out there. So you've developed a market over 23 years. You've been and you definitely market yourself. I mean, your newsletter is fabulous. Uh, and if anybody would like to see an example of it, sign up on Sheila's website. We'll have that up on the, um, actually, Sheila, give it to us now. So we have it. It's easy. SheilaLowBooks.com. S-H-E-I-L-A-L-O-W-E. Most people misspell my name. So I like to confirm that. Yeah. I'll, and I'll put all of like, you know, Sheila's information up on the website when this is available for people. So, Thanks. right. Yeah. But we need it on tape too for the people that download off of Spotify right. or something. Yeah. Uh, but he, he, like your newsletter is really informative. You hold lots of events. And I found one of the things I like that you do is you gather other authors together. So, four or five of you are all having your books at the same place, doing an event. How successful are those? Um, are you talking specifically about my book launch parties? Yes. Okay, because um, what, I, what I usually do is to make it a networking event and I like to include other authors. So in the last couple I've had at uh, restaurants and so I've given them a table where they can sell their books. They've done very well doing that. Um, and then we give we have door prizes. And I offer people, if you want to bring a door prize that's worth at least $20, you can have 30 seconds at the microphone and say whatever you like about yourself. You know, if you have books, you can um, talk about your book or whatever. I won't hold it to 30 seconds, but that's really actually a long time. Yeah, if you've gotten it together. And I, I find that uh, I went to the one you had at a Mexican restaurant down in Ventura, which was Halloween, I think it was. Yes, so, it yeah. was. I, that, that was fun. And if yes. you, you were you were the whitest ghost that ever. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great, you had a great costume, great look. And it was it was fun and seeing the other writers there and they were all engaged. I mean, I walked around for quite a while and all of them had people at their tables. And that might be something for people that authors that are listening to this to get together. I mean, we are not competitors in I try to explain that to people because we all have different stories. Absolutely. And to support each other, we need to support the community. Uh, I totally agree. And there is a really good book out. I have a chapter in it. Came out recently through Sisters in Crime called Promophobia. And it has lots of good ideas about promoting books, the, the things that have worked and haven't worked for many of us. So that's that's a good one. 
Why don't you tell, some people may now not know what Sisters of Crime is. Oh. Please explain it. It's a wonderful organization. Yes, it's not nuns with bad habits. It's, it's <laughs> mystery writers. Um, and men are welcome too. We call them Mr. Sisters. And <laughs> so we, we have meetings. Um, there's an LA chapter. And right now, well, actually the next three meetings, I think, are going to be on Zoom. We call it our summer sizzle and we get together with other chapters. So we all get on the same one. We have special guests and we're having Sarah Peretsky, who was the founder of Sisters in Crime. And she's going to be one of the guest speakers. So if you go to, I think it's sistersincrimela.org, you can get information. So there's that one. And also Mystery Writers of America. We have an LA chapter too. So that's um, MW. So SoCal MWA, and I'm not sure if it's .com or .org. Yeah, Mystery Writers of America is another excellent organization. It and is. Very supportive. It's like um, university. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, that's where all the top authors are. And, and there are many top authors in Sisters in Crime too, but usually it's a different, um, Sisters in Crime has a lot of um, cozy writers. Mm -hmm. and and other I'm not a cozy writer but I am a member but that seems to be where a lot of them congregate whereas in mystery writers of America they tend to be more suspense and thrillers and noir right have you found being a member of those organizations helped you um yes I'm sure it has in some many ways I I started a critique group many years ago because of people that I met at a Sisters in Crime, um, No Crime Unpublished conference. And uh, yes, we have these funny little terms. And um, I've met lots of good people. And you go and you hear talks, they get good ideas, people to bounce off. They have, um, Sisters in Crime has a guppies group, which is new writers. And so it's online and you can ask questions and get feedback. That's and, great. In the chapter, we have several critique groups that you can join too. Wow. So this Promophobia is a book. It's like yes. a book from a bunch of members of Sisters in Crime that have kind of put together what's worked for them and what hasn't. Yeah, it's that's, edited that's by Diane cool. Valere, who who has been a president of Sisters in Crime. That's a wonderful idea. Like what a smart way to share that knowledge and like each person, I mean, every path to publishing is so different. And I mean, even for yourself, I mean, from book to book, like, I mean, you just told us yours and, you know, each, each book had a different journey to get out there. So um, I love that idea that to get together as a group and, you know, be like, this has really worked and this really hasn't. And um, I mean, I, we kind of do that at Writers and Publishers Network. It's like helping people not get lost in the process, you know? Yeah, that's important to know that you're not alone. Right. There are other people who have had whatever experiences you've had, they've had. We share things. I think, you know, whenever I'm asked what, what I would share with new authors, the, the most important thing I think is get a good uh, editor. Even if you have, even when I was with Penguin, I first had my stuff passed through an editor that I was paying 
before I sent it to Penguin. And as a result, they however, hardly ever had comments or wanted me to change things. But even, you know, I have a friend who writes good books, but who says, oh, I don't need an editor. And I say, that's the mark of an amateur. Yeah, Everybody needs an editor. We can't edit our own work. You know, we can't be totally objective. Yeah, name me one bestseller that didn't have an editor. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Some, some need more editing, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you can't be totally objective. And when you have looked at something 6,000 times, like you just don't see it anymore. And having fresh eyes pop onto it is going to pick up things that, I mean, you start to glaze over misplaced commas, periods that are missing, um, you know, whatever, like whatever it is. I mean, entire paragraphs that need to be rewritten and you have read it so many times that you're like, I don't really want to read this anymore and forget about it. You know, um, that's where at an editor that's not you really makes a difference. <laughs> well, let's let's make sure that we're differentiating because, I mean, what you're talking about is copy editing, which is well, so important. I mean, both. I mean, it's misplaced like copy editing and developmental editing. Yes. I mean, Those when you different. read something so many times, like you just as the author can't be objective at some you know at some point you're no. like I'm sick of reading this <laughs> yeah, my sister was here it. my sister came on the weekend and she I gave her a copy of my memoir and she started reading she's not a reader she has uh, ADHD and stuff and she doesn't read but she started reading it and she really getting into it it's her family too you know but um there was an she pointed out there was an instance where I used the exact same sentence in two places on the same page, which I now need to go back and fix. So yes, copy editors are really important, but development mental editors come first to make sure that everything is flowing and it makes sense and all that stuff. So when you got into publishing and you got your first deal with Macmillan, Mm-hmm. They still had some real developmental editors that were your editors, right? Or had that already sort of passed away? Um, that's a long time ago. I had a I had a really good editor, but of course, because what I was writing was technical stuff, they they were limited in what they could say. Now, in two thousand and seven, okay, let me back up. You know, I said that they asked me to write more stuff at the, when I turned it in. So I wrote another hundred pages. Well, in 2007, Macmillan sold the series, The Idiot's Guide, to Pearson Education. And they got a hold of me and they said, uh, we're going back to the old format. We want you to remove a hundred pages. So I said, okay, if you want to pay me again. And they did, not the same amount, but they did. And I got a chance to re-edit all my stuff. But that editor was a lot more picky in in stuff that he should be you know you immediately when when you get an editor and they criticize your stuff you immediately get defensive and say you know what the hell are you talking about but then you look at it again and say yes they're right so um you know having that other eye is really important it's vital yeah i think that's the problem with authors as artists is that you have a, you know, you you can't really see it. There's a difference between a painting and a book. And 
somebody criticizing a painting is one thing, but finding errors or things that are wrong or telling you a better way to state something, you're, you're not getting, you are getting the message across to you, but you're probably not to the reader. Another problem I run into often is that they hear it in their head a different way than what they put on the paper. And that's where that other set of eyes is really important. When in the seven years that it took me to get Poison Pen published, when I finally got an editor, I mean, I, had, I didn't have an editor during that time because I didn't know what I was doing. I was just writing stuff and I'm writing down my story. But it was this editor who pointed out that I had too many adverbs. But the other thing she pointed out that I didn't realize was she said, your character is always feeling guilty, which was like me at the time. <laughs> and, and she said, people, readers don't, it's okay to have flaws, but readers don't want a weak heroine. And so she pointed out those places when, yeah, I became conscious of that. So I wouldn't have known. And, and then after that, that's when the book sold to Penguin. That see, that's a big lesson. They also the adverbs. That's something you yes. you know. I think romance is the only place that keeps adjective and adverbs going. <laughs> you know, but that that's Purple not prose. a mystery writer. Yeah, they're the flor, floral flowerly prose, right? Yes. <laughs> but, so here's a question, and I don't I, um I don't want to say it because you're still a full-time forensic handwriting expert. You uh, testify at trials and different things like that. That's your career, actually, in a way. How have you? How would you say your income from the books now that you're away from the major publishing houses that gave you advances? How do you feel your income? from books, is it sustaining a writer? This, well, it's kind of difficult because the, well, I couldn't live off my books for sure, except for maybe a month or two. But the problem is uh, I'm spending money on ads and a consultant. And so I am go, I'm in the hole every month right now. Mm -hmm. And it was looking like things were moving up. And then last month, it just went, you know, not so good. So we're going to try some new strategies this month, increase the spending on in, in certain ways. I, I, advertising in Facebook and Amazon is a real art and science that I don't want to learn. It's very complicated. And there's some wonderful courses out there for people who do want to learn it, like uh, Mark Dawson's course and... Yeah, some of the others. Um, I have a whole list of them. I just gave a talk on this at the California Crime Writers Conference a few weeks ago. So if it, it, I'll be happy to send you that that list. But oh, that would be um, great. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, but I think advertising is vital. Another another vital thing to sell books because you got to get them in front of people. And there's different ways. I mean, there's buying ads. And then there's um, using subscription services like BookBub and Robin Reads, although Robin Reads hasn't done well for me lately. Um, e, e News Reader Today, Free Booksy and Bargain Booksy. 
book doggy. There's many of them. And um, if you go to kindlepreneur.com, Dave Chasson has lists of, of the ones that are really good. Mm-hmm. And like he's got a hundred of them or something. And Dave, David Goffrin is an Irishman. He also has recommendations and lots of free uh, information on YouTube with those guys. That's good to look up. Brian Cohen. Uh, I have a question. How are you finding your sales from Facebook in relationship to your sales on your ads on Amazon and your ads on Facebook? Well, according to Val, who is doing that for me, she said that the Facebook ads um, are doing better, I think, with the Claudia Rose forensic series. And I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, because she gives me a great report every week, um, the Beyond the Veil series, I think maybe doing better on Amazon. So it really depends on your audience and what keywords, what categories you use, who you're attracting. Right. And I also, like you said, the, that one company rewrote your descriptions on Amazon. Uh, Yeah, which also goes over to Barnes and Noble and every place else. But those descriptions are so very, very important. And a lot of people don't understand. Uh, I learned this some years ago, and I'm sure it's the same. The first 134 words are what you can see or uh, up above on Amazon starts or characters. I can't remember which it is, but it's like um, you, you have to. You, if you don't grab people in that, they're not going to go on. They're not going to hit read more. Like the size of a tweet. Yeah, virtually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there. Oh. No, those those descriptions are very important. And case in point, I got a featured deal on BookBub a year or so ago for Poison Pen, and they will not let you write your own blurb. They write it. And their blurb, I, I, I didn't, I barely even broke even for the first time on BookBub on that deal. And I blame it on the on what they wrote. It was so boring, so vanilla, I wouldn't read it. It was, and I complained to them about it. And they just said, well, you know, we had professionals doing that. And I'm like, yeah, but they didn't do a good job. Right. And for how expensive they are. I mean, they should be doing a good job. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, for free. I just got another featured deal and um, it's coming on July 21st. The book will be free during that week. And I've, I'm doing promo stacking. So I've got like six different um, subscription companies who will be uh, advertising a book, but it'll be on Amazon for free. It's called Outside the Lines. And um, it was like uh, 800 and uh, I think it was like 800 and uh, close to $850 for that one day. Yeah. Whereas book doggy is like $20. Right. Of course they don't have the huge subscriber base, but if you add enough of those up, you're doing pretty well. Yeah. That that's really important at the uh, maximum launch velocity of how many people are there and they, it starts also right raising your book up into the bestseller list. Yeah, and you get reviews. Like, I've I've had this experience just once <clears throat> with um, the first time 
that book that I wrote as a standalone after I lost my contract with with uh, Penguin. Uh, I got a feature deal. At that time, it was like three hundred and fifty dollars, and I made it free. I had one hundred and seventeen thousand downloads of that book, and that led wow. to five hundred reviews. And I got royalties for my backlist the next month of $6,000. That one really paid off. Yeah. Yeah, because that's it. Especially with series, if people like the one they read, it, I, I didn't realize this was back in the early 90s. I was in a, a, you know, the airport and they used to the stores and I, my plane was delayed. So I went to look for a book because I'd finished the one I was reading and I grabbed it. It looked good. So I started reading it. And I was so taken by the time I got, I didn't want to leave the plane. I didn't want to stop reading when we landed. And the thing that, um, what it was, but that was number 10 in a series. And what did I do? I went back and bought one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, because I was so taken by the story. And I kept reading those books for another 10 years, every time they came out, because I liked them. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of readership you, people out there do that. You, you know, if you can get them to do it, like you have one in the middle of your series, it takes people for your back catalog. They'll buy those. Yeah, that's that's the hope. I mean, don't if you only have one book, um, it's not, it's not going to pay to spend a lot of money on BookBub because you, if you don't have a backlist, unless you just want to get known, mm -hmm. so that's a possibility too. So wait, I have a question. Um, I mean, you know, we we run book promotions for clients often. And I mean, BookBub is very expensive and very hard to get into. I mean, it's very hard to get into. So I mean, what you just said, I think is interesting. And I'd just like to touch back on that just a smidge, which is if you only have one book that Bookbub's probably not worth it to spend that money. Unless that, you just want to be known. But I mean, that's an expensive just want to be known, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, you could do a bunch of the smaller ones. Because I mean, when you run your book for free for like that five days, do you you don't get paid? Do you? You get paid something from Kindle Unlimited, right? Um, well, you get page reads if you're in Kindle. I mean, it depends. Some of my books are wide and some of them are on Kindle. So if they're in Kindle Unlimited, you get page reads. Right. And, and um, yeah, you mean when they're free? Because you don't have to make them free. So last, the one where I didn't break, well, I barely broke even, um, I made the book 99 cents. But you're more likely to get a featured deal if you do it for free, is what they've told me. Okay. And I've I've had like six rejections before I get one. And then right. you know, I think how I sold it this time, you gotta you gotta use something extra in the they let you put comments like, you know, why you should why should I uh take your book for this deal? And I told them uh I just appeared on an HBO documentary and I have a TV show coming up in August on the CW called uh, Mysteries Decoded and blah, 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 I, you know. So if you can say something extra, not necessarily about the book, but about your qualifications, it may help to get your book uh, accepted. Okay. 
Yeah, your Claudia Rose character is a forensic expert, right? She is. Yes, art imitating life. So that that type of qualification that you're going to be on this and be there, that really helps promote that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and like if you're an artist and you have something to do with your book is about an artist or, you know, whatever, whatever, or a chef or anything, <laughs> you know, you should talk about your talk yourself up, basically. Mm -hmm. and, and it was. I think, I think it was my um, ad consultant who pointed that out to me. So it's good to have a consultant. Yes. So, I mean, you've sold 400,000 books over 20 plus years, right? Yeah. Do you feel like now that you're self-published and you're, you know, in control of all of it, that you do better than you did 20 years ago when you were with penguin um yes because penguin paid me eight percent of the cover price whoa yes that's it that's it dang and the same i think i think it was eight or ten percent with the idiot's guide from mcmillan so the book sold for 16.95 so and with penguin at least it's not even i think it's not it's 8% of the, of the net. So they can call anything they want. An uh, expense. An expense, yeah. Right, right. So yeah, you, you have to sell a lot of books with a big uh -huh. publisher. And they told me that uh, they, had a, they had a publicist assigned to each author. And she said, I have 200 authors. I can give each one 10 minutes a month. So yeah. that's why you have to have your own promotions team. But do you think that if you hadn't started with, you know, a bigger house that today, I mean, do you think that helped get you known and now that you self-publish or do you think that if you could have self-published then because of what your books are, you would have, you know, had the same kind of trajectory in a way? Well, I am very grateful to have been published by big houses. And, and it sounds good if people ask, but people don't ask who your publisher is. They don't care. They just want to read a good story. Right. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I certainly make uh, more money now because I'm getting, with Amazon, I'm getting 70%, not 8%. Yeah, that's a big difference. <laughs> yeah. But, but and that's 70% of your gross, not what they determine is net. Exactly. So, I mean, that's a, it's a big difference in um, 8%, man. Yeah, but there's stuff, you know, you've got to learn what to do and how to promote because the thing, you know, e eons ago, big publishers paid for book tours and, and they did a lot of publicity stuff. They don't do that now, unless you are somebody that have, you know, you make your books sell well enough. You don't need their help. Right. Or you can afford it yourself. So, I mean, you've been doing this quite a while. You've worked as a, you know, a forensic hand writing analysis or is that the right Document type? an examiner. Yeah. Um, for this whole time. Realistically, how many books in a year do you think you would have to sell to be able to just write, like in a realistic way, to replace your income from 
I'm not good with numbers. I, I'm good with words, but when you, when I hear numbers, like um, <laughs> how many books would I have to sell? I don't know. Um, a lot still. Yeah. You know, to make a to make a good living, even to make a mediocre living, you got to sell a lot of books. Yeah. Because it's like any business, you've got some expenses. You can you can do it pretty much on a, a shoestring once you're once you get started. But you know you're going to pay for things like editors and covers, and promotions. So I don't know, and it's not a question of the more you put into it, the better it'll be. Because all of the editors and publicists that I have worked with have said you're the hardest working author I know. And yet it's not paying off for me yet, you know, in a way that I would like it to. Right. And I'm still working at that. It's definitely a hard world. I mean, I like, I mean, for me, I think that like the writing and the process of creating a book, like that's it for me. Like that part makes me happy and knowing that like, you know, at some point somebody can pick up that book and read it and enjoy it. And, um, you know, I mean, I would also love to be able to just write. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't like writing. I like having written. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I agree. I know. I mean, I like to write, but I definitely like the feeling of having written like, you know, yeah. I like well, the, editing, the editing process for me, going back and rewriting my books. I like that part much better. Really? Ugh. That's yeah, how I feel things about better. it. Yeah. I struggle. I, yeah. Yeah. I struggle with revision. But yeah, but it's, it's the, re, it's learning the art of refining it. And, and looking at it from more of a technical space than your creative space, <laughs> being able to make that slight sideways move. Uh, I just spent four days over the holiday weekend uh, starting out. And basically, I edited out eight pages of what I'd already written this year yeah. because I went and refined it and cleaned it up and made it tighter. And that type of stuff is, you know, there's an art to it, but then when I looked at it, I go, it sings now. And that's what you yeah. want it to do. Kill your darlings, <laughs> as they say. Who there's a famous writer who said writing is rewriting. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of who it was, but it's true. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's what you'll do more than real writing. I mean, you write, you'll first off, to get an entire draft done is amazing. And you feel good having it all done, but then to go back and make it refine it and clean it and make it sharper and tighter and, you know, more suspenseful or whatever you're doing, the mood of the scene is, uh, that actually I find quite re rewarding. Yeah. I, I like doing that. It's like, God, I can really do this, you know, and I've been writing for 50 years, but it was business writing and stuff like that most of the time. But it was like, it really feels good to say, okay, I got that done too. Because I think when it, I have a picture, I've mentioned this a few times, when I had my first novel published and someone took a picture of me when I got my first copy of it, oh. the advanced copy. That was probably the best smile in my life on I that bet. book. Because you know how few people start writing a book and never 
first off end a draft, first draft, and mm. then how many edit and edit and get it published. Mm. That's a smaller and smaller percentage. And you really got to believe in your stories and your, and what you're saying, I think, to keep keep going and like your characters. Yes, because if you don't, other people won't. You know what I think? There's the only thing better than getting your box of your first books is getting a box of your second book. <laughs> oh, I'll totally... I, I love that idea. Well, I think on that, that's a high note to end on. You know, everybody wants a box of their second book. That's right. <laughs> a good feeling. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sheila. Again, give everyone your website so that they can uh, learn more about you and your books. And I would suggest signing up if you want to see, if you're a writer, see a great newsletter. Sign up for Sheila's newsletter. Thank you. It's SheilaLowBooks.com. I also have SheilaLow.com, which is about handwriting analysis. So people interested in that. And I'm having a party to launch my memoir. Um, anybody who's invited, they can contact me, Sheila at SheilaLow.com for the address. It's at a private home this time, so I'm not publishing the address. And what's the date on that? Oh, July 18th. Okay. 30 to 7.30. I'm into seven, whatever. <laughs> there will be wine. Oh, there will be wine. <laughs> well, that's an appeal to almost any writer <laughs> and people interested. Well, thank you, Sheila. Really appreciate you being here and telling us sort of your um, trail of tears approach <laughs> to publishing. But you're, you know what? You didn't give up and you're still doing it. It's true. I never know when to give up. <laughs> so hopefully, you know what? I, I keep reminding myself of, um, oh, God, senior moment, his name, um, the story of three feet from gold, you know, about the miner who kept digging and digging for years and, and didn't find anything. And he finally gave up and he didn't know he was only three feet away from the gold. So. I feel like that, that is a That's metaphor is. for a writing journey. I mean, if you give up, you never yeah. know. Your next one could be the one. That's right. That's why we keep going. Yeah. Right. We're Thank looking you. for the gold. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Talking Book Publishing is brought to you by Writers and Publishers Network. It's a resource for writers and indie publishers at every level and offers tools to be successful in their writing career. Writersandpublishersnetwork.com.